It's time for Recruiting Better with me, Ben Browning. For ambitious recruiters, it's never been tougher to get seen as a trusted advisor and true partner by your candidates and clients. Join me each week as I address your challenges head on, answering questions from recruitment consultants and business leaders. If you're looking for inspiration or insights to help you make more placements, win more new business, find more candidates, or replace long hours with smart moves, then stay tuned. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Recruiting Better with me, Ben Browning. This week, I'm joined by Kat Reed. Uh, Kat is an expert in employer brand and candidate experience, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by her on the show. Kat, hello, how are you? Hey, Ben, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Not at all, not at all. I'm really excited about the opportunity to discuss some of the things we've been talking about offline with the Recruiting Better community today, talking really, as I say, about these two kind of key areas of employer brand and candidate experience. And I wonder if you can start by telling us a little bit about um, your your kind of specialism in in that space. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been working um, in recruiting in HR since I graduated university um, far too long ago now. Um, and what I've always found when working in that space is be that when I was working in an agency, when I was working um, in-house or weirdly in-house for an agency, um, everything always went smoother in my recruitment processes when I put the candidate first rather than my clients or my main stakeholders, which is somewhat of a controversial topic. And since setting up Truly Reliable HR, uh, my own consultancy where I work and provide HR and recruiting services for small businesses, um, we do the same thing again and again and again. And it's led to us seeing drastically different results for the clients that we work with because we do things differently and we turn the dynamic on its head, which then weirdly enough, by putting the candidate in the driver's seat rather than the client or the stakeholder means that the client and stakeholders needs get serviced faster, more efficiently and with better quality hires. Right. I love that. I love that. And there's there's some really interesting um, things that you mentioned in there. So so two things in particular stand out to me. The first one is the the dramatically different results that you get for your clients, and the and the second piece is the actual methodology and the approach that you take. Not just kind of putting candidate first in terms of a um, uh, a kind of bit of rhetoric or a philosophy, but really actionable steps that you've been able to develop that that actually kind of enable those those results. Yeah, and and are you right? Because it's not it's not rocket science, and the results do speak for itself. So I last year was working um, for about a little bit over a year um, on a retained project with a company called ICS AI. They provide public sector um, human party performance AI solutions, which is quite cool, pretty like pretty niche, pretty cutting edge. Um, and when I walked into um, their HR function, they had um, a recruitment process that was not working very well. In fact, um, the average time to hire in that organization was over 110 days. And then, yeah, which was wild. And then the recruitment spend on top of it was just insane. And then when you started looking at the attrition figures and what was going on, they were losing um, 60% of new hires that they made um, within 12 months. And of that 60%, over half of them were going within their first six months. So in terms of when you start thinking about the commerciality around that, they were quite literally just pissing money away. 
So that meant that nobody in that, yeah, nobody in that dynamic was getting it, was doing the right hires, was doing the right processes, was doing the right anything. And when you started kind of digging into who they were hiring and where, the majority of this was in kind of technical sales and um, the dev and technical staff. So you start looking at that and go, okay, this is where we've got our little baby problems. What are we going to do? So we readdressed everything from how interviews were conducted, how initial searches were done, how you would have that first engagement with a with a kind of candidate, even if they were coming in from an agency, because there you have to have agencies in your hiring processes. That's just a general spoiler for everyone. You have to have them. Um, it's it's needed. It's a relationship that works. Um, but everything that we put in place around there. We made it very clear what people could expect at what point. So when they were engaging with us, it's okay. We've we've had our conversation with you at that kind of first stage into the funnel, as it were. Um, we are going to come back to you within three working days with letting you know what the next steps are. If we're going to move into the process, the first stage is going to be this. Then within X amount of days, it's going to be this. Then that's when we would make a decision. How does that sound for you? Right. So like laying it out there and doing that and all of that sort of stuff be that again through somebody that was getting sourced directly and, he, and we'll probably talk about direct sourcing because you know I have opinions on how people do direct sourcing and headhunting um, but it doesn't matter where these people were coming into the funnel that was the process that we ran that was something that we held our internal stakeholders accountable to and if there was a reason why they weren't going to be able to make that we let the like we let the candidate know that reason very very quickly if it's hey i know we promised you a decision by today but unfortunately our cto who's the next stage in this process he's he's got twins and they're sick so he says he's going to be back in like three days yeah all right so it sounds as though at a top level when you talk about putting candidates first and, and really focusing on the candidate experience as part of the recruiting journey, that's not. I want to come back to the piece around data that you used at the start there because it feels to me what the, the, the kind of the journey that you described there was you started out with really understanding the data, being able to quantify the problem that the business, the organization had. We'll definitely be digging into that and, and going into a bit more detail around how you can specifically do that. But then the part after that was around consulting with the business to really clearly lay out exactly what the process and the steps within the selection, the interview kind of strategy looked like so that you can then communicate that back clearly to candidates. Have I captured that accurately? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you've captured it far more concisely than I do. Um, so thank you for that. God, you made me sound really intelligent, Ben. Uh, yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> It's it's something we talk about a lot in, in the community, right? This idea that when a recruiter goes to an organization, when they go to an employer, they should be having a conversation whereby they can, uh, one, understand and collaborate with the organization to define what the best selection strategy is. Um, and there's an aside about the amount of time that we need between interview stages when we're doing interviews over video. I might come back to that later, but... There is a conversation for the recruiter to have in what does the assessment strategy need to look like. We'll also perhaps move on to talk about how you sell roles, how you articulate roles, how you actually kind of get to the truth behind presenting that opportunity. But these are conversations that come up all the time in the recruiting better community because recruiters often struggle 
to um, get the platform to have that conversation with their client. And it sounds to me, therefore, and just bringing this back to the data point, it sounds to me, therefore, that having that data to quantify the problem first was really has been really effective for you. Is is that the case? And if so, how do you actually go about getting that data and really being able to quantify the size of the problem? I mean, so I was lucky because I was sitting inside their organisation. So I had access to their system so I could see that for myself. But actually, if you're starting, as a general tip that I would give to anybody who's starting to consult with a business, you will have historical records from your client engagements before, unless this is a brand new engagement, in which case just them for this data and if they don't have it then you can say okay well that's something we're going to want to keep an eye out for you so that way we know that we're making really good decisions for you so we can show you how good we are at doing what we do because data doesn't lie we can all get very very emotional about how hard we feel we are working and what our perception of things are but our feelings are not facts so having as many facts around to back up your opinions is just a good way to be um in general so yeah data is majorly important and get your hands on it either from your own systems and say this is what we find from working with you for the last two or three years is this is how long we get vacancies for we know that they have been open generally speaking from contract like from the notes that we keep on our crm because for fuck's sake use your crm kids right again just a general hint for everyone use your crm keep data keep it clean keep it nice keep the sexy um this is how long we can see that you've been looking for it before you've handed it to us. So we know that on average, you are having vacancies rolling for this amount of time. This means that there's an inefficiency somewhere here. So why don't we talk about how we can make your lives easier? Because at the end of the day, an open requisition means that you're not making as much money. It, it It's as pure and simple as that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, indeed. And so it sounds as though one of the key key elements of data there clearly is the time to hire the 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 the, the employer's average time to hire. And I know in the in the kind of piece you mentioned with the client you were working with last year, that was then leading on to impact around retention and uh, not only kind of retention through through the first year, but also through the first six months. Are there any other particular markers or? the kind of piece of data that you found particularly useful in conversations with clients to get them to take the whole approach around hiring more seriously? Cost of hire um, as well. When you get them to look at where cost should be attributed and where it should be appropriated. Um, If you've got, and this is going way, way back, um, so before I was self-employed and one of the first um, roles I had when I moved down to Manchester, which is where I now live, I was working with a company called Concept Life Sciences back in 2015. Um, and I went in and one of their sections was a contract testing laboratory that did environmental testing. And they spent over a quarter of a million pounds a year on recruitment fees for people who were earning under 20 grand a year. Right, you do that math. Then we started dialing down into things. We saw that there were certain sections of that business that had a 125% staff turnover in a year. What did that mean for sample throughput? What did that mean for delivery? Where did that go? Why were we having that? It like I spent months in exit interview after exit interview and I looked after a bunch of different sites across the UK and everywhere we were having this. And it was bad enough when you're paying people under 20 grand a year, even in 2015, in Manchester, they had sites in Cambridge. So people were coming in, getting six months experience working in 
like a laboratory and then getting hoached off somewhere else. We had to do something in there. So when we started looking at how they were hiding, everyone just punted things out to an agency. And I was like, ah, oh, nah, we've got to stop this. We've got to rein this back in because we need to take this saving. We have to save and then we have to reinvest that. We have to reinvest it into training and development. We have to reinvest it into salaries and incentives. We have to put this money back and we have to go out and, and do that. Yeah, and look, when we, it's really interesting to hear you say that because I think often when we, when I talk to recruiters about cost of hire and the cost of, and not just actually the cost of an individual hire, but actually the cost of hiring in total, recruiters are like, well, like, what? I, I, I kind of, I, I don't want to talk about that because I'm the source of the, I'm the source of the cost, right? I am like, it's more expensive for an employer to do it through an agency than it is to do it internally. But actually, it sounds as though if you're, streamlining recruitment if you're putting in, a, in place a process you're helping a client develop a hiring strategy that enables their retention and stops their their turnover or their churn then actually you're saving the money by by, by enabling them to, to have to recruit less often right right and sometimes it's about having the conversation with them about what are they, like again like I said, it's what are they spending on okay if you have rules that you're looking at going it's not appropriate that you spend here because this is something you can source directly and that's this is how you should run that and like all over to you but here's where you should be spending because ultimately like not every role in every organization needs a recruitment agent and it's very very and it's very very arrogant if we say it does um the smartest recruiters are the ones who work either with the ops people if there's no hr or actually get to know HR. HR aren't the devil. We're really not. We're quite nice, actually. Like, we might have some things where we're like, can you just loop things by us so we're aware of things because we've got a budget that we've got to look at. And, like, if you've messed with my budget, I'll cut your balls off. It's kind of always been my approach to things. So um, most people are are very, very similar in that regard. We're like, we want you to have that great relationship with ops. We want you to have that relationship with line. Just keep us looped into what you're having the conversations about because it can impact us as well so being their pal asking them what their workforce plan looks like asking them where they think they're going to be spending when do they think these hires are going to be coming because then you can start proactively keeping an eye out on your market for when you know someone's going to be needing this particular skill set because the in-house person is generally speaking swept off their feet and they have so much to do that they already know what they're likely to spend on and businesses are okay with spending so long as they're going to get a sufficient return on their investment, right? If you're if you're going to be charged even fees that go like like that 15, 20, sometimes 30 grand fees out there, a business is not going to sweat that fee if they're going to get it back. And if they're going to get it back because everything's slick, moves quickly, they're direct like that that 30k bubble there might seem like a scary number. But if you're like, well, this person's going to be in post when you need them to be in post, we're going to make sure that the notice period has been navigated well. Your interview process is not going to take a million years to sort out because we know when we're going to do it. And it's going to take you about five hours out of your days over like the course of two weeks to get this all done and boxed off. That means that you're not wasting your money because how much does this person cost your business? How much does this person cost your business? All of these stakeholders that need to be involved in this process, the more you take them out of the business... And the more you cock around was trying to figure out when can they all get in a room together, all of that sort of stuff. And then you've got the person on the other end who's trying to coordinate all that stuff. That's where cost to hire goes beyond just invoice value. Because 
when we were whenever I've gone into a business, the first thing we look at is what invoice value is. So when we were talking about concept and that two hundred and fifty thousand pound a year, that was invoice value. That did not then include the fact that people were losing on average twelve hours per role to hire. Twelve hours was lost to the ether. And it's like how are like how and if you're doing this to the level that you were doing it, the rough kind of calculations was that on average we were losing about 210 hours a month of time across across the business. And you're like, fuck me, that's not, that's insane. So when you start adding that all together, it started pushing that number up to like the half a mil mark. So if you're going to sit there and you're going to say, oh, I'm worried about talking about my feet, then it shows that you don't understand your value to the process or what you're going to bring to the table. Talk about your number. It's cool. And and this is this is where I kind of really encourage recruiters to to get comfortable with talking about uh, not just the value of the solution they provide, but the value of the problems that they solve. Because when you look at it, you say the hiring fee, let's say an average hiring fee for most of the businesses that, that I typically interact with is somewhere in the region of £10,000, right? So... The impact of making that one hire, getting that role filled, the client is saying, well, yeah, we've got to, we can afford £10,000 to bring that person in. But actually, the impact of not having that role filled, the impact of the hiring manager spending time away from their desk, away from their team, away from the things they should be doing in order to make this hire happen, and the fact that in the interim, the capacity of the rest of the team, everyone else in the team is getting stretched. We all know, I suspect we all know what it's like when you're working in a team that's short-staffed, right? It is, you know, there's extra pressure, extra stress there. People are looking around at their options, weighing up. That increases kind of, or uh, increases staff turnover across the business. It reduces continuity in terms of delivery. And so actually, this one hire, like, it's not just worth the £10,000. It's, it's not just that the £10,000 is worth it to get the, 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 the hire made. But it's actually that this problem is much, much bigger in value than the £10,000 that it costs to solve it. This is really simple. And when you start thinking about resource planning and resource management, and nobody likes it when people who do what I do in HR start talking about resource planning and resource management because it makes it take away that people element. And I completely understand that. But when you start taking it and you look at what a commercial impact is to recruiting to a business you have to look at your resources so if we take people out of the equation and we just pretend it's like something like a fleet of vans right and you know that you need 20 vans to do what you need to do to get your job done if you suddenly lose two vans and then everyone else is having to do extra runs around it then we all know what's going to happen because we all know what like automobiles are like right Suddenly our fuel cost is increased, aka the overtime bill. Wear and tear is there, aka staff burnout. If they've got a driver of that car who wants to go on holiday and his leave gets cancelled, you've got a demotivation to staff morale. All comes down to that. So you and people who run fleets don't tend to let their stuff happen like that. You don't do it with hard assets. So why do we do it with soft assets like people? Why are people seen? as something that is a resource that could be stretched more than any hard asset and that's not appropriate or correct so taking that control and that ownership and driving that experience forward around let's get your hires done and look at how fast we can how can we make this more efficient for the client 
because that makes them feel like they're really special and they're the one that's there. But actually, you do that for the candidate because the candidate is the one who's going to walk into a, into a process and go, holy shit, this is amazing because there's bad recruitment processes out there. Um, and I'm going to shamelessly plug my little T series that's on LinkedIn at the moment. Which I love, by the way. <laughs> got to, you've got to tell everybody about this. And genuinely, guys, you've really got to check this out because... Uh, this is where Kat and I first connected and I read a couple of these and thought, wow, this is unique content and it's a perspective that I think every single recruiter, uh, be they agency side or in-house, but particularly this this audience is, is obviously agency side recruiters, right? Everyone listening to this can benefit and take something from your perspective. I think it's fantastic. So, so. Tell us a little bit about what, what it is you do with the T series. Okay, so T is the talent experience audit. Um, and also, like, that's why I'm wearing my little teapot necklace today. Um, very, again, very subtle plugs here. Um, so also, when you say the colloquialism spilling the tea, it means you're telling the truth. Um, because people don't talk about how shit recruitment processes are, generally. Um, so I go after the big boys and girls of the world who have enough money, enough resources, and enough nows to know how they should be doing things better. I never look at agencies because you guys have less control, but I only ever look at the big boys and girls of the world and the direct sourcing team. And I go into recruitment processes, sometimes as myself, sometimes I go in as one of my many aliases. And at the moment I've got a Java developer who's running around. I've got two um, conventional engineers. I've got some people who work in insurance and I have some solicitors. As well, because I've been in some legal processes too, don't you know? Can't wait for that one to come out. Um, and I go in and I post screenshots of everything that happens to me and I critique the process and hack it from the inside out and tell them watch what's great, because sometimes it is great, what's shit, more on, which is unfortunately more often the case, and how they could do it better and why they could do it better. And it can be everything from their tech stack, how things are integrated, why they take so long, are they being lazy? what's happening, what's their advertising, all of that stuff is what we look at. And it's all from the perspective of this is what you're doing to candidates. This is what this looks like. This is what's real. Yeah, yeah. It's it's huge. It's such a great insight. I, I love the breakdown. I think one of the things I really like about the way you, way you do it, right, is it's quite a pointed tone, but it's all it's all fair, right? Because the stuff that you're, the stuff that you're kind of feeding back is all objective, it's all your actual experience. It's all backed up with, you know, the, the with clarity. And also, I don't think you hold a very high bar. I don't think you have really huge expectations of these organizations. I don't, which is what's so depressing. I have, like, a, and you're right, the tone is pointed because it should be pointed. These are, these are companies that more often than not have millions of pounds of revenue that are coming in, millions of pounds of profit that's going up to their state, like their shareholders at the end of the day. And I'm like, Ayo, why don't you just chuck a couple handy thousand this way to invest in some better shit and look at what you're going to get out of it. But like TA is always treated like the little kind of bastard child that's sat in the corner and forgotten about until it's time to kick someone. And then it's all TA's fault, right? So it's it's one of those things. Um, but that's why it's so direct. And I've been asked a lot why I don't do this to recruitment agencies. And it's like, because it's not fucking fair to do it to you guys. Because half the time, half the time your client's gone rogue. And sometimes that's because you've lost the control of the client and that happens. It does happen. 
Um, but working with someone like Ben helps you keep better control of your client. Um, but back to the candidate experience thing and why it's important, because um, we talked about data at the start. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. I just have one more question that I think lots of people will be thinking about based off of some of the things that you said um, a few moments ago. And that, that question, and we will absolutely come back to the, the, the candidate experience piece, the employer brand piece as well. But you've had experience, right, as a recruiter with an RPO, within an RPO setup, outside of an RPO setup, working uh, within HR teams. So a real kind of broad experience. And, uh, and the question I think lots of people will be wondering is, how does a recruiter go about building a relationship with HR? How can a recruiter in, in, in the current market and in the current, I guess, the current climate and, and, and culture around people's relationship with work and uh, HR's relationship with recruitment, how can we as recruiters build better bridges, build better relationships and go about kind of cultivating effective relationships with, with HR? So what I've always found um, worked for me was, firstly, I actually asked them the question of how do you want to work with me? Because very quickly, if someone was like, I just want you to send CVs into a portal, I'd be like, all right, I'm a pay lip service to you. I might hit one every now and again, and that's fine, but you are not who I'm going to focus on. If someone went, I just want someone to not bullshit me, then I'd go, excellent. Now I've got a person I can work with and I can build things. And I or like, so going in and actually just fucking ask them how to work with them and play nicely. It's, it's amazing what setting expectations and communicating in a relationship will do to somebody. And then when you go in, at first you have to give a bit more than you're going to want to take because you want to do that because everybody can demand that people trust and respect and work with them because I've done this for so many years. But actually the better way to do it is command it by actions, right? And go in and just deliver well. Ask for things, do that things. The more somebody looks at you and goes, oh my God, you know what you're talking about. You're going to add this value. This is amazing. This is what I want to see. This is what I love. Like, this is the value that I want to see getting added to my life. Like, amazing. The more things will kind of get into things. If you're going to start talking about, I want to have a conversation with line management, have a reason to have a conversation with line management. Because um, sometimes, again, it depends on the HR person. If they genuinely don't know what they're talking about, and they're not giving you the information to say, I appreciate the fact that you're so stretched over so many business things that there's information that I'm going to need to better sell this role so we fill it faster. Um, that I think asking you to go and chase up for is not going to be worth our time and effort. How would you feel about hopping on a call with the line manager together? Yeah. It's that positioning thing. And I, and I see this comes back to, um, in uh, as I'm thinking about what you're saying there, this feels like it also comes back to some of those pieces around the problems that recruiters solve and the data that sits within the business. Because if I were breaking that, what you've just shared into um, the kind of typical sort of outreach that I would say, I might go to the HR team and say, how, hey, how do you want to work? But I might also go to them and say, look, with the HR teams that we typically work with, we work with HR teams right across the industry. We love working with HR because that's where we get the best collaboration and that's where we ultimately are able to have the best impact for organizations and for candidates. But three things that the HR tell us that, that is the reason that they want to work with us more closely is because one, they don't want someone that's going to bullshit them. Two, if it's not that, then they want somebody who understands the metrics and the drivers and the goals that they're trying to achieve internally. And three, if it's not those two things, then they just want somebody who's got the best out, who's, who's a real authority in their candidate pools. 
um, you're probably going to tell me that none of those three things really matter to you. All right, this is a kind of this is the kind of language that I typically use in my in my stuff. Right. So we then say, so then they're going to say, well, yeah, and and for the kinds of businesses I want to work with, they're going to say, well, either, yeah, we just want someone who's really straight talking and, and upfront, or we want somebody who understands our goals and our metrics and our, and our values, or we want somebody who's going to be able to, um, who, who, who we can trust as a real authority within their candidate pools. And one of those three things is going to align with something that, that my key clients or my key targets within HR are most likely to be suffering with. You're you're going to give them something something that they want, right? And again, another secret from behind behind the curtain, as it were, we only want to work with a handful of people because that means there's less demand on our time. So when you are the one who is authentically solving a problem for not just the ops teams, but also you're playing nicely with the people teams, who are the ones that hold that budget. Can't stress that enough. HR hold your budget. So whilst line might make your decision, HR hold your budget, play nicely with the people who have your fucking money. That Like, just do it. But once you've done that, and once you've built that relationship, they're going to be like, um, I get you, I trust you, I love you, I am going to work with you because you get me and you are going to have that client for life. They are going to want to work with you for life because they get you. And that's powerful. And that's amazing. And that means that your chance of having like, and just being one of eight on a PSL, but is gone. You are maybe one of two people who do something. And I like those odds way better for making money. It's being one of two rather than one of eight. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. You know, on those raw numbers, you're making four times as much revenue, right? You're building four times as much simply by making that shit. Standing out in your sector is becoming harder than ever. Lots of people are making noise, saturating the market with the same old drill tones. So if you want to stand out, it's time to start a podcast. Yes, there's loads of podcasts out there, but how many of them are actually in your niche? Do any of them speak to your perspective on the market? I didn't think so. Podcasting not only sets you apart as an innovative thinker in your market, it's great content for repurposing. Here at Search That, we help you become the voice of your industry. We can stretch your content and turn it into a content goldmine, leveling up your personal brands and recruitment marketing in the process. Sounds good, doesn't it? Well, to find out more, head over to searchthat.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Again, I think sometimes it comes down to Sometimes it feels like it comes down to playing the game and, and 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 kind of building those relationships. But I also think that from what you've said, it's about taking something of value to HR contacts. It's not just about being subservient and saying, "Well, you know, what can what can we do for you?" Because that doesn't necessarily help us stand out or differentiate. But when we can go and say, "Look, we're we're honest. We're brutally honest. We're driven by numbers, and we um." We work best in environments where we can where we can really support the business achieve a specific goal. Then maybe, and I'm not saying this, not saying those are the only things, but perhaps those are a selection of things that might create that engagement with HR. I, I again, I'm really inclined to agree. Um, it always starts from like my personal perspective on things is it always starts from asking a question, and this is why when I talked about candidate attraction, again, I I hate talking first when I get into negotiations with people. I always let them ask me questions because I listen to their fucking answers and I go, this is how I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. When I'm getting ready to close you as a person, I'm going to listen really carefully to what your motivators and drivers are. 
and that's what's going to lead me to getting my clothes for this person um and you hit on something really really nicely there it's about providing a service you're super right you do provide a service but that doesn't mean you're servile you want to put yourself in a position where you're equal partners that's so important and that's the same as people who are working on the other side of the dynamic who are in house even when you go like when you go in house the temptation is just to be at the beck and call of the business it's like no we're not like you're a stakeholder of mine but we're colleagues first right i need you to do your job so i can do my job you need me so that you have the people to do their job so you can do their job and manage them that's how this dynamic works right we feed each other but it only works when you're on an equal playing field right you might provide a service but you are not servile those two are not the same thing yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's a really critical factor that recruiters need to get comfortable with. And I think the other the other critical factor that I wanted to come back to is that piece around candidate experience. So, um, we're coming towards the 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 end of uh, of the time here. But I wonder if you'd be happy to take a few minutes just to take us through like what candidate experience, how you define candidate experience, and specifically, I guess within that, what are like any key building blocks or things that people would be really focused on in order to get the best out of candidate experience? Because I think it's largely misunderstood. Hugely. Um, candidate experience is not rocket science. Candidate experience is the process that you would wait to take them through, what is going to make them feel like, and the journey that they go on emotionally from being somebody that you have picked up out of, out of the ether to somebody that you have turned into an interested buyer, because your candidate's still your buyer, right? They are buying company money with their time, okay? So please remember that in that sales dynamic. It's still a sales dynamic. You have to convince them to buy something. It's not with their money, it's with their time, right? So if you remember that dynamic, you're in there. So you're taking them on that buyer's journey. That is candidate experience. That is what it is in a nutshell. Fundamental building blocks to remember as a recruiter on what makes good candidate experience. The first thing is that the candidate doesn't give a shit about you until you give them a reason to. That's a kind of bit, bit of a caveat. But when you're sending out a LinkedIn in mail to somebody, they don't give a shit about your like your credentials. This is not crufts. You do not have to trot your pedigree certification. They don't give a fuck about your agency history. They don't give a fuck about this, that, and the other. They want to know what's in it for them. Why should they give you their time? So you have to be able to be really quick and go, hey, I saw your detail in the search. I'm looking for this right now. This is some very high level information on what's here. Maybe give an attachment for some more information so that they can open it as a PDF because most of the time people are doing things on their fucking phones. Make something mobile friendly. If you are interested in this, can we have a call so I can answer your questions? When When's good? cheers off you go pretty simple talk to them like a human then when you get them on the phone do not start pitching them ask them what they want to know that is always always no matter where i sit in the recruiting dynamic and sometimes i get into an interview and i'm going into the interview process probably third stage in and i still do this every time first thing out of my mouth is what do you want to know it immediately yeah it immediately throws them off because nobody asks that question Nobody asks that question. Everyone is prepared to trot through the usual interview bullshit, but nobody asks somebody, what do you want to know? And what matters to you? Where do we go with this? And you can dig down and dig down and dig down and dig down on this, and you will know from their answers and their responses, what are their buying signals? Is this going to be, is this the right opportunity to sell? Or should I say, actually, this is why this isn't the right opportunity to sell, because you are looking for this. 
I know they can't give you that. So I'm not going to make sure I don't waste your time. But can I call you again if there's something that does match your experience? They're going to be like, oh my God, yeah, you get me, dude. I love this. Yeah, fuck yeah. They're going to be really happy, right? All the way through, ask what matters to them. Then when it comes to then doing that switch where you're closing and pitching them, you're doing it in a way where it's like, okay, so from our conversations, to me, this seems like a bit of a match. This is what they're offering. This is why it matches what you're looking for. Your salary's tight in terms of what they're looking for, but like this, this is going to work. They've got the great benefits. I really get a bit of a feel that you're going to like this business and you're interested in what they're going to do. Like, so I think this is great. Here's what the process looks like that they run, that we're going to be going into. Run them through what it is. How does this sound for you? Awesome. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to be sending your CV to the client on this day, right? That could be this the same day. It could be the next day, whenever it is, tell them. From there, they will come back to me within X amount of time. If I don't hear from them by X amount of time, I will let you know that I'm still chasing them. Once they come back, they're going to be looking to interview. I know I generally get slots around this time. So if we're doing rough numbers, this is when they're going to be looking. Have you got anything that I need to be aware of? Are you fucking off out of the country somewhere? Are you going on a conference? What's happening? Because this is candidate control 101, right? It's like, tell me what you're, what are you up to? So I make sure that this is an easy process for you too. But in reality, all you're doing is keeping track of where the pieces are on the board. And that's what I was going to say. You say it's candidate control. And I have a bit of a, I think that, that idea, the concept of candidate, or the language around candidate control is a bit difficult, but for some people. But for me, this is about process control because what it requires is, first of all, you've understood from the client exactly what the timeline of the process looks like, what the stages are, what they'll consist of, what they're going to be assessing, when they're going to be assessing it, who's going to be assessing it. And then you play that back to the candidate. One of my favorite techniques is when you've got so close to the client, you understand what the second and third stage interviews are going to be or when they're going to be as well. So you can say to the candidate, look, first stage interview, 16th to 17th of this month, the, the second stage interview, 20th to 23rd of this month, and the final stage interview, if you make it, 26th to the 30th of this month. Any reason any of those dates aren't going to work for you? Because if so, we're going to need to look at a different... We're going to... I can take that back to them, but I'm going to need a reason to do that. So it's not... Sometimes it's not even a need a reason. It's... If something's not going to work for you, don't worry. I'm going to advocate for you. But that... But, but we're... But everyone in this process is really committed to getting this sorted quite quickly which is nice for you because it means you're not going to be sitting in application limbo give that again give them a reason for why it's those things and that's kind of it's, it's being able to play those sides and i think you're super right by talking about second and third stages i need to know what the entire fucking process is and if i'm running a process and i'm working with agency recruiters so if i'm doing that kind of intermediary thing for the clients which does sometimes happen it's not just recruiting i do sometimes it's hr and even if i am doing recruiting for them I am a, like a jack of all trades recruiter and there are sometimes things where I'm like, oh no, I'm a need a specialist. Okay, let, let's get a buddy in here. Let's work, let's work this through. They will know everything that I know. It will run to military precision and they will be able to tell the candidates that and I would hope that they would because that's what I would do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And, well, and, and so it sounds as though the, the, the kind of the crux of candidate experience then, as, as you summarized, but I just want to come back to this because you mentioned a few great points here around what I consider to be real kind of transparency and clarity for candidates. And then also, and, and, and transparency and clarity because we know that those elements create the right environment for positive emotions for a candidate going through a buying or a selection process. It's true for anybody, right? The more clear and transparent you can be in any sales process, 
the more likely you are going to be to end up with the outcome that you want. But but also in in candidate experience, it's 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 a hundred percent about getting that right fit. And we never want to be leaving a candidate with unanswered questions when that when it comes to the offer stage. Agreed. But the other benefit to it on top of that, because your summation is absolutely correct, the other benefit that we're not talking about is the more honest we are with candidates and the more we show up for candidates, the less likely they are to ghost you. Because you have given them a reason to not sit there and go, oh, recruiter, shit. You have given them a reason to go, I haven't liked lots of people that I've worked with, but I like this person and I don't want to let this person down. You do not have to do something big or scary or like some weird Jedi mind shit on people. Generally speaking, people are decent. If you play nicely with them, they'll play nicely with you. And if you do everything you say you're going to, they are more likely to do the same. That doesn't mean that there's not going to still be some asshole out there who's who's, who's going to do it. But again, if we're thinking about what recruitment is, recruitment is just a big game of risk management and playing the odds. Minimize your risk as much as possible. I love hearing you say that. It's something that I share with recruiters so often. And look, I just want to kind of, I guess, wrap this up because there's a there's a real closing of the loop here. We started out by talking about your experience of working with data and providing solutions to businesses who are having very, who have very expensive, big, thorny problems at the core of their recruitment processes. And we said that if recruiters can understand those those problems and the value of those problems, the scope of those problems, then they stand to to win. We then talked about this idea of going to uh, hiring, uh, sorry, HR managers, talent acquisition teams, and saying these are the problems or these are the kinds of ways in which we may be able to provide a service for you. Does any of that sound valuable? Is any of that the stuff that you really want from us? At which point, if you get that right, then you build a relationship from which you're able to extract greater clarity over the recruitment process. And then you say that clarity over the, the over the recruitment process to your client, uh, so you, to your candidates, your candidates love you for it. They make better and easier and quicker decisions. They don't ghost you which in turn supports and delivers better results for your uh, for the clients you're working with, which really creates this really nice circle around the value create you created for the business turned into information that you use to provide value to the candidate and the candidate experience led to better results back for that organization. But on, that is, that is the dynamic. That is, that's 360 recruitment. Funnily enough, it's a circle, isn't it? <laughs> It absolutely is. I don't know. Thanks so much, Kat, for making the time available to to walk us through it. I think this has really become a a, a really strong kind of microcosm or a, a really good kind of um, complete circle for, for for recruiters to listen to and understand here. And I'm sure we're going to get huge amounts of feedback on the show. If you're listening and you've enjoyed Kat's advice and uh, and viewpoint on this, make sure you follow her on on LinkedIn. Um, Kat, is, that, is, is LinkedIn the best place to find you? LinkedIn is generally always the best place to find me. Um, I've, I've tried many, many times to do the Twitter or Instagram thing for business, and I just can't. LinkedIn is where I, I need that long-form content, evidently, because I can't shut up. Um, so yeah, LinkedIn, please, you can find me quite easily. I'm the, uh, the smiley woman with glasses. Excellent. Lovely. Cool. I'm sure people will be reaching out. There'll be a link to Kat's profile in the show notes. 
Uh, and um, I think I also just want to tag on the end here that Kat and I are working on something very special for recruiters who are looking to develop their skills with kind of candidate management. Kat is uh, known by the team at Resonant here as the candidate whisperer, and she's building a bit of a masterclass for us. So if that's something that you think would be interesting to, uh, to get your hands on or get access to or find out more about, then please let me know. Um, Kat, thanks so much for joining us. No worries, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. If I may have one last thing before I close off, just to close my own circle. Um, uh, I talked about ICS's time to hire being um, over 100 days when I walked in. By the time I walked out, we dropped it to 35 in six months. There you go. Fantastic. Mic drop. Kat, that's how you do it. I think you're going to get a, a a whole bunch of followers off the back of this episode. And I am super grateful for you to sharing the time and uh, and coming and sharing your message and understanding of the world of HR, candidate experience and recruitment with us. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome.